the last person who wanted to see Jesus on the cross was Satan. When I make that statement in front of my students, you should see the look on their faces. I'm not sure that's a stretch. Here's why. We know Satan tried to keep Jesus from being born at all. Way back in Genesis 3, God had promised that one would come who would stomp Satan's head and end the curse of sin. In our episode on the kings of Judah, we found a woman, the white witch, Queen Athaliah. She decided she wanted to be queen, so she decided she was going to get rid of all of her grandbabies. She almost succeeded. The littlest guy, Joash, was hidden away from her, and apparently Grandma Athaliah didn't know her grandkids very well. If she would have been successful, she could have ended the line of David. If she ended the line of David, the Messiah could not have come from the line of David. I smelled a rat in Queen Athaliah's actions. Then we fast forward to the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, we met our villain, Haman. He tried to wipe out the entire Jewish race. Thanks to Esther and her guardian, Mordecai, that didn't succeed. If Haman's plan had succeeded, the Messiah couldn't come through the Jewish race as promised. Then we get to the birth of Jesus. He's born, and King Herod issues a decree that every baby within a radius of his birthplace, Bethlehem, was to be exterminated. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, we found Jesus out in the wilderness. Satan approaches him with three temptations. Two of those temptations were shortcuts to him becoming the Messiah King over the earth. One, throwing himself off the temple to demonstrate he was from God so the people would follow him. And the other, just flat out getting the rule of the earth if he would only bow and worship Satan. If Jesus had bent to either of those two temptations, he could have bypassed the cross. Of course, all of us would have still been under the curse of sin and separated from God. It comes up again in Matthew chapter 16. At the end of year three of Jesus' ministry, he starts talking more about going to Jerusalem to die on the cross and be raised on the third day. Peter has just made his amazing confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and gotten a high five from Jesus. But right after that, when Jesus mentions the cross, Peter gets in his face and says, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus' response, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking of the things of man, not the things of God. Then in the last couple of episodes, we looked at several other things that just make me scratch my head and wonder. In a wave of events in the upper room, Jesus has to face the betrayal of Judas, one of his disciples, and the sheer stupidity of the rest of his disciples. You'd have to wonder if Jesus wasn't wondering if his previous mission wasn't pretty much for naught. Then we get to the Garden of Gethsemane and the pounding Jesus is taking in his spirit. Such a pounding that God has to send one of heaven's bellboys, an angel, to support him. And the disciples he's brought with him, Peter, James, and John, he pleads with them to pray for him, and instead they go to sleep. Again, you have to wonder, did it cross Jesus' mind this dying on the cross for these people was a fool's errand? And then we looked at the overt blasphemous abuse Jesus took from the religious leaders at his first nighttime kangaroo court trial. It's hard to even read what they did to him. You think about the incident around the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. God the Father was extremely angry with the behavior of the children of Israel down at the bottom of the hill. What must the Father have been thinking about the abuse of Jesus in that courtyard from those religious leaders? The sheer blasphemy and abuse of it all. 
it's hard for me not to think that Satan was behind that kind of abuse, to get Jesus to just rage quit on him and forget the whole thing. And we're not finished. In this episode, we're going to look at Jesus' trial before the Roman authorities and his being nailed to a Roman cross. And several other events make me think even more. Satan could very well have wanted Jesus not to go through with the crucifixion, at least not all the way through it. Let's take a look. The cock crows and the religious trial is over, so the Jewish leaders drag Jesus to Pilate. He's the only one that can issue a death sentence on Jesus, either give them permission to stone Jesus or to condemn him under Roman law to the cross. Matthew gives us a little window into Judas at this point. Judas hears about the verdict of the religious court, and he feels terrible about it. Apparently, he finds some of the religious leaders in the temple. He says simply this, I've sinned against an innocent man. The religious leaders reply, it's a done deal. That's a you problem. Judas throws the 30 pieces of silver at them. Matthew tells us he went out and hanged himself. The leaders in the temple, probably priests, collected the money. They had a problem. Under the law, it was blood money. That's what they say. We can't put this money for murder into the treasury. So they decided they would buy a cemetery for foreigners. So they pick a natural site, a field pottery workers would dig into to get their clay. The potter's field. They used the money of Judas to buy a potter's field. In Zechariah 11.13, this is what God said to Zechariah. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. That was written about 500 years before this event. Back to the mob taking Jesus to Pilate. They get the governor up early in the morning, before his coffee, no doubt. And they don't start it out on a very good foot. The Jews won't go into his place to talk to him. It's Passover, and he's a Roman. They're Jewish people who don't want to be defiled. So Pilate has to go out to them. What's the charge on this man? They don't answer his question. They just said, would we get you up early in the morning and bring this guy here if he weren't a criminal? Pilate responds, you deal with it, and starts heading back inside. But the Jews stop him with this, only you, a Roman, can order his execution. They believe Jesus has blasphemed God. The Jewish penalty is being stoned, but they want Jesus crucified. I ask my students, why do you think that is? I mean, dead is dead. Stoning wasn't just picking up baseball-sized rocks and pelting somebody. The victim was normally put down into some sort of a pit, and bowling ball-sized boulders were dropped on him. One of those rocks hitting you in the head was all it took, and you slept through the rest of it. But crucifixion could take days. Pilate decides to bring Jesus inside and question him. Pilate asks, So, are you king of the Jews as they say? Jesus says, It's as you say. Somehow, Pilate can hear all kinds of accusations from the mob outside. Jesus just stands there, silent. Pilate asks, Aren't you going to answer any of their charges against you? Jesus says nothing. Pilate then goes back outside to the religious Jewish mob. I find nothing against this man. Desperate, the Jews start leveling charges. He's telling us not to pay taxes to the Roman government, and he says he's a king. Pilate isn't swayed. Get him out of here. He's done nothing. The mob continues. He's causing riots everywhere he goes, both here in Jerusalem and in Galilee. Galilee? 
When Pilate hears that, he realizes this might be my out. Galilee is Herod's jurisdiction. Herod happened to be in town. Herod was delighted to meet Jesus. He'd heard about him, and he was looking for an opportunity to meet Jesus and see if Jesus would do a little trick for him, a miracle. Of course, the mob follows Jesus to Pilate's house. They start hurling accusations. There, Herod assembles his soldiers. Herod plies him with questions, but Jesus says nothing. Then Herod and the soldiers begin to mock and ridicule him. Herod asks for a royal robe, probably one of his own, and mockingly puts it on Jesus. But then he tires of this disappointing figure and sends him back to Pilate. When Jesus gets back to Pilate, Pilate says to the mob, I think he's innocent. Herod thinks he's innocent. I'll have him whipped and released. The frenzy of the mob increases even more. Then Pilate comes up with an idea. It was customary at Passover to release a prisoner to the Jews to pacify them. Pilate thinks of the most notorious prisoner he can think of, Barabbas, a man accused of murder and causing insurrection among the Jews. Pilate realizes it's out of envy the Jewish leaders have brought Jesus up for trial. So Pilate plays to the growing crowd, Shall I release for you this Jesus you call the Christ or Barabbas? As the Jewish leaders start working the crowd for a response, Pilate gets a message. It's from his wife. Have nothing to do with this righteous Jesus guy. I had a dream last night. Leave this guy alone. Now Pilate's even more concerned. He faces the crowd again and says, Shall I release to you Jesus or Barabbas? By this time, the religious leaders have the crowds on their side. Give us Barabbas. Pilate replies, if I give you Barabbas, what shall I do with this guy Jesus? They chant, crucify him. Still, Pilate pushes back. Why? What has he done? Mark adds, the crowd starts crowding in on Pilate. Once again, Pilate calls Jesus back inside. He asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies, is that your question? Or did someone else tell you about me? Pilate, half annoyed, half terrified, asks, do I look like a Jew? Jesus replies, I'm not an earthly king. If I were, my subjects would fight for me. But I am a king. I was born to be a king, and I was sent here to bring truth to this world. Here's where Pilate utters his famous line, What is truth? Pilate brings him back outside and says, I find him not guilty. Still they scream, Crucify him. With the crowds pressing in on him, getting more and more agitated, Mark tells us Pilate was anxious and he decided it was expedient to please the crowd. He calls for a bowl of water, then in front of the crowd washes his hands and says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. This is on you. To which the mob replies, it's on us and on our children. Pilate releases Barabbas and then he orders Jesus to be scourged. Matthew tells us a battalion of soldiers took him back inside to their area. It's now on their turf, without witnesses. These were men hauled away from their families. They're in this Jewish city, where the residents spit in front of them when they walk. Sakari Jews, zealots, assassinate them in the streets. Now they're standing in front of this figure who claims to be their king, and they take out their frustration and rage on him. They strip him down and scourge him. You need to look up a Roman scourge on Wikipedia. It's often called a cat of nine tails. 
It wasn't just a leather whip. It had bits of jagged sheep bone, lead balls, and weights. It was not designed to simply inflict pain and teach a lesson. It was designed to dig in and tear away. Those who were scourged frequently died from the scourging itself, as it often exposed inner organs in the tearing away. It was customary not to give more than 40 lashes. With a scourging, it often didn't take more than 40 lashes. But these are angry, frustrated men, and Jesus is in their barracks where there's no eyewitnesses. Personally, I think Satan wanted Jesus dead at the scourging post. Jesus survived the scourging, and then the abuse continued. Here's where the Roman soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head, put a stick in his hand, and dressed him in purple. They took turns grabbing the stick and beating him over the head, then falling to their knees in mock worship, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Mark tells us they did this until they grew tired of it and their fury was spent. They then led him out to be crucified. Well, not exactly. According to John, Pilate tried one more time to get what was left of Jesus released. He brings a bloody Jesus out to the crowd, saying, I find him not guilty. Behold the man. But that backfires. It's like blood in the water with sharks. Pilate says, You take him out and kill him. They reply, He called himself the Son of God. When Pilate hears this, he's even more afraid. He takes Jesus back inside again. Bringing Jesus back out, he yells to the crowd, Shall I kill your king? To which the crowd replies, We have no king but Caesar. Has it really come to that? The Messiah, the Son of David, sent to be the Savior and the King of Kings, and the ones to whom he was sent, the lost ones he came to seek and save, scream, We want Caesar as our king. It's the words of John's Gospel prologue. He came to his own, and his own received him not. You'd expect the Father to speak from heaven, like he did three times over his son Jesus, saying, Okay, people, your will be done. But that's not how this goes. John's Gospel says, For God so loved this lost world that he would give his only begotten Son, no matter what. Jesus is then led out to be crucified to a place likely on the northwest side of Jerusalem. Criminals had to carry their own crossbeam, and it was only about a kilometer on this windy road through Jerusalem. But Jesus is so depleted, he falls under the weight of it. A man named Simon from Cyrene is conscripted to carry his crossbeam. Luke tells us on the journey to Golgotha, a large crowd was following behind, including many grief-stricken women. Jesus says to the ladies who are weeping, Dear ladies, don't weep for me, weep for yourself, for a time is coming for you that's going to be dreadful. Read about the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. During that time, an average of 500 Jews were crucified every day outside of Jerusalem. Luke also tells us two other criminals were in the party with Jesus. And once out to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the three of them were crucified, Jesus in the middle, and one criminal on either side. We'll look at that crucifixion and Jesus six hours on the cross in our next word picture.